Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Hi, Alex. Good. How are you? Good. It's mid-November and it's suitably blustery out there. It is very blustery, blustery, although I looked out the window and all the, I thought it was maybe fell over because all the trees were sideways instead of vertical, but that was just the trees. Yeah, no, it's one of those windy Vancouver Island days. So yes, we are uh, reaching listeners and viewers from Victoria, BC. I'm sitting here with Jeff Hopkins, who is the principal educator at the Pacific School of Innovation and Inquiry in downtown Victoria. And I am Alex Bantal, uh, author, journalist, parent, and uh, now I'm starting to tow the, the title Brain Coach. So I'm going with that one. <laughs> and this is our, we have no idea what number podcast this is, but we are going in sequence with these. These are, um, the first podcasts in this series are uh, all sort of centered around the convictions that Jeff has sort of implemented as the school has taken shape over the last seven, seven and a half, eight years. Um, so we call them convictions and you hammered out 20 of them, Jeff, and that was uh, late in the summer. And since we started the podcast, we've just been talking about one conviction with every episode. Uh, although we did do a special COVID, you know, how are teachers managing in COVID show. So that was our last one, but now we're going back into the convictions. And, uh, and today we're going to talk about one of the ones that I'm most familiar with. It's your preference of the word learner over the word student. So take it away and tell me what, what is, what is happening with your thinking there? Yeah, sure. Actually, this is a good one to talk about because I remember I know that some we've had a lot of visitors to the school and um, sometimes when I use that terminology um, you will see the odd eye roll and um, I get it because I, I know what you know it's people make up their own words and sometimes it sounds like I don't know new age and whatever <laughs> it's like it, it has a real purpose there's a real meaning a really important reason why we do it we, part of it is uh, well the main thing is that while part of being a learner can be a student it's not the other way around so um, what I mean by that is you may need to study things that other people have done as a learner but learning isn't completely comprised of studying people other things have done in our opinion okay so sit, run me through that one again because I was going to ask you about that you, you said learning can include studying but not the other way around so yeah yeah I guess um, if you studied something that's great um, and you need to do that to get to get some foundational knowledge or to add context to something, whatever it might be. But we wouldn't like to see the learning stop there. And part of the reason why we opened the school was that we don't want people to stop at just studying something that already exists. Um, you know, one of our eyes is innovation after all. So if you're not actually going beyond that or synthesizing what you're studying and then taking it somewhere else, adding something yourself to the to either the body of literature or making something that's never been made before or looking at something with a completely different perspective. Um, in, in that case, it, it's, you know, not all the learning that you could possibly be doing has been done. Right. Okay, that, that totally gives context. Yeah, so I see the difference between studying and learning. And actually, we, uh, in preparing for this uh, episode, I looked up the etiology of the word student, and it comes from Latin. Some roots are Greek, some are Latin. This one's Latin. The original is studere. Um, and there's a related, so studere, I, uh, I didn't write down the definition, but I think it was um, 
you know, applied learning. Uh, but then there's a word that's related to studere, it's studium, mm -hmm. and it means painstaking application. And it, like my eyes just went to the word painstaking. I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. like it, it really does specify that being a student means that you are really only focused in one area. Yeah, that's true. And, and probably that, that painstaking uh, application probably comes from when study, people were studying with monks and they would have to write things out by hand over and over and over again. And you're just, you know, repetition, everything by repetition. Um, make It makes sense. Um, it, you know, that is, that's one way to learn things. That's one way to learn about something that already exists in the world. So what, okay couple questions. One is how deeply held is this conviction? Um, I look across your materials, you know, the written materials that are on the school's website, and I never yeah. see the word student. So I know that this is, this is definitely throughout all of your communications, but like, why? Why the conviction? I think, you know, this kind of goes beyond just a school and this, I mean, I, maybe our school goes beyond this anyway, but just, it's a worldview. It's, it's the idea that, um, we're kind of squandering the opportunity that we have in our hands here with, you know, adolescence, the job of adolescence has always been kind of biologically and bioevolutionarily to come up with a new way of looking at things, go somewhere where people haven't been before. Um, th there's reasons for having adolescence as an age in our, in our inhumanity. And if all we're doing is asking adolescents to look at things that someone else has already done before them, <clears throat> It's almost like we've just kind of missed the whole point uh, because what they're what they're able to do and kind of what they need to do and want to do is come up with new ways of doing things, come up with whole new things, um, invent things the world doesn't have. Um, they want to add to the world, the world to their community. And I also think that if there's ever been a time, and no, I guess everyone's probably already said, always said this, but if there's ever been a time when we could have somebody adding something of value to the world, it's now, um, you know, the, the kind of the conceit that when you read about things like the Titanic and people thought they had reached the height of uh, civilization and everything that had been invented had been invented, you know, science, science was at its peak, everything was at its peak. Well, they were wrong. And when the Titanic sank, it was like the big symbol for you're wrong. Um, and, and a lot of people talked about it like that, like, wow, were we ever wrong? We just, we thought so much of ourselves as a, as a civilization that, you know, we had reached the pinnacle, nowhere near. And I feel like unless you are allowing people to really explore the edges and push them out and learn new things and just kind of leap over, um, we're sort of suffering from the same arrogance. Um, and our school system says, here's the things we, we already know, we want you to learn them. And it's like, okay, so we're strongly suggesting to people that we already know everything and you're just going to learn it all. <clears throat> yeah. And that's the key you know, one of the, let me back up, that's not the key problem, but that's one of the key challenges right now with the mainstream system is, is and uh, to, to some extent, the curriculum, although there's a lot more fluidity within the curriculum, a lot more room to expand and stretch than there used to be. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, the system is still sort of wired for, um, I will dispense the material, you will, what is it? you will apply, you will painstakingly apply your energy to learning learning this material and then you'll reproduce it for me. So there just yeah. isn't that emphasis on expansion or that emphasis on exploration. 
even the word you use, learning this material, like the material already exists. You are learning yeah. something that I already have. You're going to remember it or you're going to think about it a lot until you really understand it. And that's all really good. That's very important. But once you've done that, you could do a lot more and you could say, you know what, knowing all that, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with a new way of looking at this. Or, you know, today we just had somebody redoing a poster in our science room. We have this horrible model of the atom that is incorrect. And we even have a little sign on it that says, please fix this. And um, so just the last couple of days, somebody here at the school decided he's going to fix it. So he started redoing a better visual representation of something that's really hard to represent, which is the atom. And so, yes, he studied how what the atom is in order to be able to do that. But what he's trying to do is create a better way for people to see it and understand what it looks like. Out of that, from that, he started to think about a way of looking at, um, you know, string theory. And he thinks, I think I might actually have some ideas about things I could add to that theory. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> like, usually you wouldn't expect that from somebody in high school. That's after you've done your PhD in physics, you might start thinking about that. Um, but I sort of see what he means and the way he's thinking about it, even though it's at that sort of the conceptual level, um, I think he's onto something. So, it, wow. you know, that, that he went from studying to, to learning to now, you know, really probably going out into an area that we would never ask somebody to do at school. We wouldn't say, okay, now everybody come up with a plausible alternative to string theory. You know, we, we would not do that. That's crazy. But I wouldn't want to prevent somebody from doing that. So what I'm finding super interesting about this, uh, and if a few moments ago when you were talking, I had the I had the idea of the necessity of space in your mind in order to be creative, right? Like creativity happens, like people put ideas together when they've got space, and sometimes it happens in dreams. I forget who the person was that that finally had the formation of the benzene ring arrive in his mind while he was sleeping. But, you know, he had tried every possible molecular configuration, you know, in the lab and on paper and then went to sleep. And because his brain was in that state of relaxation and not being pounded with material, out came the ring idea. And he was like, oh, I think that's going to work. And sure enough, benzene actually is in a ring shape. So this student that you're that you are uh, referencing, you know, there's something about the the way of learning at the school at Psy that allows for that creative space, right? That imagination, mm -hmm. that ideation, and then in that space, you can kind of reach for the next thing. And often that's a very individual kind of reaching right so i'm just listening to the other voices you know that would say oh well we do do inquiry projects we do allow you know we do allow learners to learn new stuff but maybe they're they're being assigned those things in groups or right. they're just being assigned those things so that's not really necessarily you know there's not a lot of free will there so but you made a you brought up a good point too, like about the needing space, because I think you could allow people to learn beyond the curriculum, but if you don't give them any space, it's not going to happen. So if school is about keeping people really busy because they're students, they're not learners, then you got to keep them really busy. And if you saw people, if you saw someone just sitting there, maybe like just sitting there, and maybe they're just kind of staring out the window, that would be a daydreamer, and you'd say, "Hey, get to work." Um, yeah. Here, 
we kind of hesitate on that because you want to know, wonder what they're doing. And so you might ask them the question like, hey, what's going on? And then they would say, well, I'm actually just kind of thinking a little bit about string theory. And we're like, okay, keep going. <laughs> um, you know, we know that the old, the model of kind of the, um, the factory model, I mean, keep using this, it's probably overused, but everyone's supposed to be busy. Everyone's supposed to be producing and it's outcome-based education. So it's like, where's your outcome? Where's the output? Um, learning isn't about output. Learning is about learning. So if you don't give people time and space in the day to learn and you don't let them um, follow that kind of iterative process where one thing leads to another leads to another, if we've decided what the path is going to be already, like we did unit six, now we're going to do unit seven. And yes, you may have an inquiry opportunity within a unit, but you've got constraints around it that doesn't allow that, that free flow to kind of iterate an idea into wherever it needs to go. And I think, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about the word student and how it presupposes that the teacher knows everything or the, you know, the textbook knows everything. Um, but if that is the approach that is taken, then yeah, no new learning can take place because there has to be exploration. You've got a word here. You've got two words here, meandering exploration, right? Accidental yeah. learning sometimes through meandering exploration. And that's what we do as grown-ups. That's how people actually learn. So it, learning isn't on a straight line. Learning is on a line like this. Yeah. The only way you learn is a meander. You have to do that because you go back and forth. It's not, it's not, you don't go at the same pace through anything, but we pretend that there's this march that you're supposed to be on um, in school that, you know, I guess that's what you could do as a student. That's yeah. definitely not what we do as a learner. We just were just doing a session a couple of days ago in physics on equilibrium. And um, I was just introducing the concept to people who are either in physics 11 or just barely kind of scraping science nine or anywhere in between. And they're just kind of getting a sense of what equilibrium is. And they're going to see how far we can take it with this group. And um, we're using some analogies to try to describe it. And then somebody in the group goes, this is a lot like um, the way the stock market works. And, and, and I said, well, what do you mean? And they go, well, not the stock market, but more supply and demand. And they said, there's an equilibrium in supply and demand. If, you, if you're trying to apply, instead of applying an external force like you do in physics, if you apply a something like you overproduce something, then its value goes down because you the supply and demand are kind of in this in this balance. I was like, that's a really good analogy. Like it's a really, really interesting analogy. So um anyway, that just watching their mind go off and you know, they kept going with that and they're actually building sort of this whole equilibrium model about how supply and demand works and how you know free markets work following a physics model of equilibrium, wow. uh, as opposed to studying an economic model. Um, they're not doing that. Right, that's an example of interdisciplinary, uh, in, that's a biggie, interdisciplinarity, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Where, yeah, where yeah. You, you might learn something in one area and then lo and behold, it, it, you know, something you've learned in that area applies and works analogously to something in another area. And that just deepens the connections, right? In the brain. Yeah, and when they said it too, not only did it deepen their own connections, but I think it helped everybody in the room because there are a bunch of people went, oh, that's really interesting. There's another example that that was analogous and it, it just made it more possible for more ways for everybody in the room to think about that concept of equilibrium. Now the term okay. learner, um, yeah. you know, you are using it at your school, your your teachers are using it at the school. How does, and of course you're, you're the children that attend the school are, are learners. 
but how does that term apply to your team as teachers? Um, well, we're all learners as well. And it's actually funny that you asked that because we don't know what we're supposed to call ourselves. Um, <laughs> like we call ourselves teachers because we can't think of a better name. And we've, we've right. talked about, you know, coaches because we do some coaching, but we also do other things. So it's not just coaching. I mean, I think we are learners and we, we try to demonstrate that for our younger learners at the school too. And that's kind of the difference that we say, like, I'm old, you're young. I've been learning for a, a long time. You will too, when you're my age, um, like don't stop. Um, and then I don't know a bunch of things that you know, and you don't know a bunch of things that I know. So being learning together in a community is really important. So, you know, we're all kind of learning together. And the way we look at how we're teachers is we're sharing our learning and we're trying to share it in a way that can be scaffolding for someone else's learning, not just, I know this, I want you to know it the same way and just tell it, say it back to me. Um, so we just, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. We are all learners, all the adults here to everybody in the school. And that's really powerful and important modeling. I think too, for, for young people is to know, like to, to see their adults learning alongside. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's very, you know, you really do check your ego at the door, um, and join them in their exploration. And there, you know, you've said before, there are times when somebody's learning way outstrips your own knowledge, but your role is not to be the purveyor of all the knowledge. Your role is to just walk beside and ensure that good questions are being asked and that, you know, good connections are being made. Like you don't have to be that subject matter expert. Not at all. Um, and I think this comes back to the, the whole use of the word learner, which is if school is about learning, we should call the people in it learners. <laughs> um, if it's about something else, then don't call them learners. But we want it to be about learning. So we use that word to remind us that that's actually what we're here to do. So that walking beside someone as a teacher, as opposed to telling people what to do and barking commands, it, it's, a very, it's a very different relationship. And most teachers want to be that, that you know, supporter of learners, but they're often trapped in a system that says, Mm, kind of, but you kind of have to be this other thing also, this sort of authoritarian slash crowd control person, uh, all these other things that, that you sort of need to be in the mainstream system. We don't want that system. Um, we, we think that is kind of silly. So why not strip away as much of that as possible, the parts that are not required, and um, just leave behind a learning community. And so that's all it is. That's all we're here to do. It, it kind of cleans up uh, your job like significantly when you say is this helping somebody learn something mm -hmm. don't do it <laughs> like it's, it's pretty simple I think it's a really valuable um, it's a really valuable mental framework for for your graduates to take forward into the world as well you know like yeah. having um, had experiences with adults uh, and other peers who all agree that life is a path of learning um, that just in and of itself that mindset is a very different mindset than the one of the child who is expunged from the regular system with with a very clear set of beliefs about how learning should look and sometimes you know those those learners those children you know in post-secondary or in their jobs are the ones that are waiting 
to be told, right? I would say that's the vast majority of grads and early workers are waiting to be told what to do. And that's not the world we live in anymore. So this really sets them up differently. It does. And we, we're seeing that now. I mean, we, we're still quite young as a school, but just in our eighth year, but we're seeing people now who have you know been in post-secondary, been in the world of work both, and they are kind of making their own way. Like they're saying, I would like this to look like that. We had somebody who invented their own job for, they were teaching um, videography and they just said, I want to make this program. Can I do that? And they went, uh, sure. So they wrote a proposal and they made a program and then they hired themselves with a job and then they did the job that they made. And, you know, so, you know, things like, things like that. Um, it's really nice to see. We also see a lot of our learners, former learners come back to offer things in the school. So they'll, they'll just keep, they just sort of keep, they get into the groove of that. So they'll, they'll say, oh, hey, I learned how to do a whole bunch of stuff on, I don't know, like a piece of software, like a video editing software or a, you know, sound recording software or something. I'm, I'm happy to come back and teach it if you ever want me to come in and do a, like a session or two. And so we take people up on that so that the, our learners here see older learners come back in and kind of give back in that way. So they're teaching people what they've learned um, in the school. And, and you can just kind of see, oh, this just keeps on going. This is not a thing that ever really stops. And, and the teachers weren't kidding when they said that there are still learners, but they're just older because that's what these people are doing. So they start to see this line of this, you know, that we always use this term lifelong learning. But, you know, I think, again, I think if we want to take that really seriously, we have to really look at how, how we're setting things up here. Yeah, I think that's really compelling to have your older learners coming back and teaching stuff to the, the ones who are still enrolled in the school. Um, that's motivating for them as well, right? Like, <clears throat> and that story you told about the, the person who went and basically created his job description and then, yeah. and then that, you know, that's actually happening simultaneously in the business world um, under the, I mean, the, the catch-all term, let's see if I have the book here. No, I don't. The catch-all term is evolutionary organizations, and this is this is thinking based on the work of Aaron Dignan, who um, who operates a firm, a development firm called The Ready, but he wrote a book called Brave New Work, and it's all about how organizations are and must sh shift, are shifting and must shift to meet the to meet the world as the world is now. So gone are the org charts, gone are the hierarchies. And now what, what, is, um, what is really effective is for people who are onboarding to know what they're interested in. So they know where their attention will be sustained and well-fed, right? Um, they know what they're good at and what they're very competent at. They know what they don't actually want to do and they know what they're no good at doing. And yeah. so, you know, I've heard of, uh, there's a local startup actually that uh, basically everybody in the startup everybody in the exec suite has a list of the jobs that they do regardless of whether they like them or not but they highlight the ones that they actually really are good at and they like and they want to keep yes. but then the selection of new jobs you know jobs that they don't actually really want to have to do so new people coming in can look at those lists and go oh i really actually like marketing so i can totally take that off your plate and so people are kind of finding their roles based on what they want to learn and what they want to express in their work it's fabulous yeah. and then that should change over time when someone goes you know i've been doing this thing for a long time as much as i enjoy it i'd really like to try something else and then you you're adding something back to that list that other people can take we do that here as teachers and it's it's really nice 
we even this year we really went evolutionary we hired um uh one of our grads um she's an international student and she's at uvic and um she really wanted to um learn how to or she wanted to kind of contribute to how we teach people who are learning english as a second language um, and she went through that experience herself here um, so she she ended up actually taking her own uh tesla course which is a teaching english as a second language course during the lockdown in march because she was bored and <laughs> she took an online course at the university of arizona or something but she already had a nice way with people and so our ell teacher here He's a, he's a retired teacher, actually, because we won't let him retire. And so he, we just keep bringing him back in. He's a you know, licensed teacher, but he's, you know, one day he wants to probably call it in and actually just retire. Um, so we hired her to just kind of help him out a bit. Just She's just an assistant. And I um, thought that would be a good way for her to see what he does. Well, she's taken it on and she's kind of a, become almost like a, a life coach for the kids who are in the ELL program because they're from Mexico and Japan mostly. And she's helping them kind of... Um, understand the cultural changes when you're in Canada, some of what she went through, some things that are like nuances about the English language, um, and even they're all dancers. So how to organize your life as a very high level dancer and do well in school at the same time? How do you kind of keep your life going? What's it like being in a host family? What's it like being miles away from home and not likely going to be able to see them for, you know, anytime soon because of COVID? Um, so she just kind of made her own job and she's taken it over and it's awesome. And she's just, it's way different from what we had envisioned, but it's what we needed. And she, she saw what we needed. She likes to do what we needed and she just did it. And so we actually ended up, we were able to kind of expand her role a little bit, which is nice that we were able to do that. It's been the best year we've ever had for our English language learners. Their English learning is like off the chart. They're so fast. It's just amazing. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That is a definite interesting case study. And all yeah. because this was, you know, her pursuing her own desire to learn in the beginning, right? I'm going to learn something new. And then she's like, well, this could work differently. And so she goes and, you know, creates an applied process to yeah. make it feel different for people. That's awesome. Yeah. And she's brought one of our teachers in who's now learning a bit, a bit of like how to teach English as a second language, but is trying to push it together with our competency framework. And so they're working together. So we have this former learner who learned English as a second language, who's going to UVic, working with one of our teachers, teaching them how to teach English as a second language, but learning how to teach in a competency-based environment. Um, it's just a, such an incredible ecosystem. And it, it really is a, we like you'd never write a job description like that. Yeah. It's possible actually. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to see. Well, one, one important part of those evolutionary organizations is the, <clears throat> is the transparency and the amount of communication. And that is something that, you know, um, the Pacific School of Innovation and Inquiry is noted for, right? Everything is out on the table for your learners to know and understand about why you do things the way you do. There's a yeah. very fluid two-way communication, um, you know, so that you know what path people are on and what they're undertaking at a given time. And the same kind of thing works in you know, you couldn't have people creating their own job descriptions and making their own roles in a in an old style organization where there isn't a lot of vulnerability and transparency. So you really, it is sort of a mag, you know, a, <clears throat> a macro shift. Yeah, and again, because we've built everything around learners, we've made a, we've got a system that isn't but well, in block B, this is now where you need to be. And these people are going to be in this room at this time. And we all have to leave because the bell's going to ring. Well, we don't do that. So if something doesn't work, we just go, okay, that doesn't work. Let's stop. 
Um, or why don't we do it at this time of the day? It'll be way better than that time of the day. What's your schedule look like? Because she's a student at she's a student at UVic. She's a full time student, so she's putting this in around her all her other stuff. Yeah. Um, just I don't know where she finds the energy, but I, maybe I don't know. Maybe we all have that energy at that age. I can't remember, but just um, it, pretty neat. But we have to be very flexible. Um, another interesting one we have uh, the learner being the the lead is we have a dark room here at the school now, a photography dark room that's a uh, for like chemical photography, we had someone made a donation of a lot of equipment. And so, so we had a one, one, one girl in particular was really gung ho. So she's, her project was setting up a dark room. Um, she knew like this much about the dark room and the rest of us know this much about a dark room. So she's in charge. <laughs> so, so um, we have a dark room now. It works. It's totally functional. Um, and she just talked to mentors around. Then she kind of set it up in her own way that worked for our particular space and and our needs and um it's fantastic so now she's going to be teaching other people how to use the dark room um and while she's doing that she's learning new things because she'll teach something and someone will ask her a question she'll go oh i never thought about that so her learning is being informed by other people's learning as well well and i think you know there's a there's a vastly wasted workforce I mean, that's a, that's a funny way to put it. But, you know, if you look at high schools, they are full of people who, like back to what you were saying about the role of adolescence in development, right? That's formal operations, right? We are ready to start putting in new information and putting things together and make things happen in the world. And there's so much, there is so much skill that these young ones have that we just lack. We just haven't had the time to master all the tech skills, right? Yeah, These yeah. kids have lots of time to explore online and ideate and think about things and talk about things. So, you know, and I know that in some schools that's embraced and, and children do indeed make amazing contributions to the way tech gets used and make amazing contributions to programs and stuff. But that's not universal. I think that would be something worth encouraging schools to look at is, you know, you've got it ups engagement right like it's it's not a it's a total win 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 situation you know yeah. to to just sort of seek advice look for some partnership with those young people allow them a bit of freedom you know i just think giving trust and that's what sai is so adept at you give trust first and when you start with trust it might take a few shots depending on the child's nature, but almost immediately everybody rises right to it. They do. They almost, I can't yeah. even think of any, any exceptions to that. Um, I'm amazed. Yeah, you're right. I mean, people will rise or sink to whatever, whatever expectation you have of them. And adolescents are in our society are treated, you know, pretty badly. Like everybody blames them for everything. And it says like, why don't you this? And why don't you that? And when are you going to learn how to this and that? And it's like, well, actually, they are learning how to do a lot of things because they're just kids, but they also have some incredible capabilities. So where they are capable, why not let them, you know, really exercise that and show you? Um, I think when you talked about, I think you're right, lots of schools offer those opportunities. I think what we're trying to do is sort of say, you could do that in any way that makes sense that you could design for yourself. And we've tried to create it so that instead of it being, you know, you have this opportunity and there's a little hole for that opportunity they just might line up at some point and it might happen um why not just say there's lots of holes for those opportunities and lots of times and places for it to line up just be imaginative and also don't be afraid to be assertive and say i have an idea like i have a thing i'd like to do 
um, it's your school too. It's not, it's not a place you go and someone else owns it. It's your school. So I think the learner language, even like to go back to the, almost the original language of this, this conversation is um, student also implies some kind of like underling and learner yeah. does not. And so this is your school. Um, what do you want to do? You know, like, let's, uh, let's make the school work really well together. Uh, so yeah, and I, I don't think that, you know, out there in the bigger world, I don't think uh, children have any sense of, of ownership or even belonging, right? Oh. I mean, there's, there's the whole varsity angle, which is, a, that's excellent belonging, right? Yeah. Kids on teams, that's important. But, you know, I'm just thinking back to my own experience. And I, I, I didn't feel like, yeah, like it was an extension of me, like it was a living room kind of thing. So that's, that would be something to to work towards if if a person watching was was thinking yeah i could probably make some changes in my school absolutely even if you want to think even if you don't get any of this and you're listening to this going this is all crazy and fluff and everything like that <laughs> you just go to the dollars and cents if people feel like they belong to something they don't vandalize it they don't hurt each other um like it's really really lovely to be in a place where people this is their place they're you know we have one a couple of couple of kids last year they decided the school needs plants so they mm -hmm. spent a month kind of propagating all these plants potting them bringing them put, figuring out the best way to do it so that the plants would kind of survive the, the school you know kind of the way schools work and um they put all the plants and they all had names because they said if we name the plants people will not hurt the plants they will take care of the plants and it was actually true plants were fine they the only thing about them is you have to like you know they're you have to make sure they get enough light and all that kind of stuff but they were they're well taken care of and so we had plants and they all had names and um people said oh i'm going to be sitting over here by ivan and you're like who's i oh the plant and then you know, <laughs> that's you know, awesome yeah it was you're right though i mean belonging is um belonging is a huge core need as humans and and yeah. that's like rooted way down deep in there alongside worth Right. And I'm not sure which one has precedence over the other, but those are usually where all of us, uh, unless you're enlightened, everybody's got gaps in belonging and worth. And so the earlier we are able to show children that they can trust the world, um, you know, with that sense of belonging, the better off everything is going to be down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And then yeah, then they can, you know, if that's not a thing they're worried about, they can work on other stuff, like got the belonging taken care of. Okay, great, great foundation. I can go work on other stuff. Yeah. Um, the belonging itself is a kind of scaffolding. And I know we've talked about that before, but if people feel a sense of belonging, they're willing to take, take those healthy risks that you need to take to learn something. But if you don't feel your belonging, you know, people are watching me, what do they think? Um, are they evaluating everything I do? Is this all external? And really, it should be you know, again, what are we doing as a learning community? Um, what risks do we take? Um, it's, it's, it makes a big difference. It makes a very big difference. Cool. Well, that was a really good conversation about learner versus student. I'm glad we had that one. Me too. One. Today's happy fact. We are, that was conviction number 10. So we are halfway through the, the list of 20 convictions that you laid out in the summertime. Wow. Amazing. It's incredible. So come back, everybody, for the next episode of School of Thought. Thank you, Jeff Hopkins, and uh, we'll reconvene on our next show. Thank you, Alex.